want to go code, you can code at Facebook or Google or Amazon or wherever the heck. Um, but if you want to try and um, affect social change, then you're coming to us. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. His clients include Starbucks, the City of Boston, and the National Education Association. Today, we chat with Michael Knapp, CEO and co-founder of Green River, a company on the forefront of using software development and data analytics for a better world. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and David Bradbury recording from Coworking Plus in Brattleboro, Vermont. Hi, Michael. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for coming aside on a very encouraging spring day here. It's a beautiful day. It is, but... Uh, thanks for coming down to Brattleboro. Good you're to welcome. You, you know, this is... I've got family here. My wife uh, went to Brattleboro Union High School, uh, and we try to get down here quite a bit to, to see family and, and enjoy this community. It's come a long ways, it seems. It has. Awesome. Yeah. So, Michael, let's just jump right in here. Um, what's Green River and how did it start? So, Green River is a uh, web application development and data analytics company. We're about 15 engineers, UX folks, designers, um, and some support people. Uh, it's a consultancy. Uh, we started in March of 2000. And our mission from the very first day has been to try and use emerging technology for social good, for social change, ideally for social justice, and to really be able to scale out projects so that they can touch lives in meaningful ways uh, around, the, around the globe and at scale. So cool. And what's your background? Uh, my background, I came out of... Uh, uh, a field in environmental health. Um, I am an environmentalist and um, I um, focused a lot of my work in biostatistics and information visualization in the early days. Um, I moved up here uh, mostly kind of to internalize my values and, and create the Biosphere 3, a self-sufficient homestead that I'm, I'm, I'm far away from having the time to create, but that, that, that sort of drew me to this area. and. Um, and uh, I started um, Green River partly uh, on the heels of work I had done in Marlboro College Graduate Center right here in Brattleboro, uh, where we were focusing on using internet technology in, um, in grad school education. And it sort of, it, you know, one thing led to another. Very cool. And did you, like, always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Or is this sort of something you stumbled into? Um, I... I guess I, I was planning on an academic career, and I think a, a couple of a couple of things happened. Um, one of which was really that it's hard to have an academic career if you plant roots. And I fell in love with this area, and I'm here. And so, yeah, academics is very mobile, if you will. Um, and um, the other thing is that it took me a really long time to figure out that I'm an entrepreneur at heart. That I'm not an academic, and that in fact uh, I was sort of born to do this. So um, that took a while to get through my head, probably 35, 40 years of life before <laughs> I figured that out. And, and what were those key traits or signals that led you to that conclusion? Well, it included like 
smearing non, my mother was an artist and I was smearing like her non-drying clay or plasticine clay on my wood blocks and heading out into the neighborhood and peddling them like with my initials scratched on them or so, you know, selling tomatoes out of my vegetable garden in, in suburban Boston or those sorts of things were probably early clues that this is, that I was born to be in business. But, but it took me a really long time to, um, understand entrepreneurship because you know i i grew up very committed to addressing um the issues of our day the environmental destruction that's going on uh, of our planet and also the um the the ethical issues with resource allocation um and so on that that you know it's a consequence of, of so many people on this planet and so it was sort of wanting to address those issues and not seeing entrepreneurship as the way to do it, as the most potent way to do that. That took me a really long time to kind of put one one together. Um, and, and actually, when I started Green River, most of our projects were academic in nature. We still do a fair amount of consulting through universities. You know, federal dollars will flow through universities. I, I like to say they they make all the money and we do all the work and, and write the software on those grants. But that continues today. But less and less of our money is, um, is, uh, you know, is coming through academic projects. Um, and that's partly by design. I think that we've been able to affect change in our for-profit work probably on a larger scale. Yeah, I was going I wanted to talk about that because your your client list is is impressive, you know, from Starbucks to uh, B Labs. I mean, I, if if I read this correctly, you yeah. really helped them develop the the tools, the back end, the software to 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 do measures and and assurance and validation around the certification standards. So what do you think made your company different in order to sort of get these marquee names and, and larger enterprises, because that, that's not always apparent to some of the other startups or, or younger tech, not just startups, even companies with 10 or 15 million in sales. Uh, they're stuck in the small, medium business realm. It's a good question, and it's, um, it's hard for me to be certain about the answer to that. I think some of it um, is um, wearing people out with our sincerity. It's a combination of, of like, of, you know, hey, I want to end homelessness. I don't want to walk by people on the street with no place to go in the winter. And by coming to Boston with that true commitment and that commitment expressed in our team, it does wear people out. They believe it, right? In the same way, like, if I'm going to work for the teachers' union on school improvement, you know, we understand the importance of public education in our democracy, in our society. We care. We get the framework. So it's more than just software development, if you will. And it's partly that our work is good. The team that I put together is outstanding. Um, there's no question. And, and that comes through. So obviously... There's the credibility to get the work done and then the commitment to the mission of the organizations that we serve. And then ultimately, it's a referral network, right? One opportunity leads to the next. Um, you do good work there and it leads to good work, you know, and, and um, I think it's, it's you know, and, and also we're hungry for that. Like, that's what we want, right? It's, it's that if we're you know, doing the environmental and worker safety audits of 15% of the world's coffee, that's, that's, that's the point, right? For a developer sitting here in Brattleboro, it's can I get that many people $25 more 
a month for their work in, uh, in, you know, around the equator on a coffee farm. And by really emphasizing that, I mean, it's also, you know, we take a hit financially to do this and make that real, right? This is a different version of capitalism. We're not trying to get a, a lot of wealth out of this. We're trying to support our families well, make a decent living. If we're making twice the median income in our community and then we're talking about social justice, that's already uncomfortable and that's enough, right? And so there's also that sense that you know, we're very transparent. We know what we're going to make. We're clear about the profit that we're going to make. You can see where your money goes. And it's about trying to affect change in the world. And do you have any trouble ever finding employees and team members? Or do folks that, that want to work in technology and yet uh, focus on these these problem sets and, and support their values? I mean, has it just become this pipeline of talent that you can draw from? Well, I mean, we're only as good as the team that we are, right? The, 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 that's ultimately, if we want to be the best in the world in data analytics uh, and data science, then we have to be the best in the world at that. That's, that's right? And so there is that, that the drive towards excellence is, is really important. Um, I would say that the, the reasons for joining Green River have probably changed over the 16 years I've been doing this, that in the beginning, the internet technologies were new enough um, and developers who were working in the field were doing the work for its own sake. It's like a great writer wanting to write and wanting to write for the purpose of crafting great stories. In a way, um, it's similar in software development. I think in the beginning it was like, oh, that was Mike's thing, the mission of our company. And then for the developers, it was, you know, having some Greenfields brand new app where they could, you know, work in a technology that had just arrived on the scene. Um, over time, you know, we still have that, certainly. And that's an important part of us. And the technology for its own sake is certainly real. Um, but more and more, you know, if you want to go code, you can code at Facebook or Google or Amazon or wherever the heck. Um, but if you want to try and um, affect social change, then you're coming to us. And that's, that's become, so in the same way that that's what markets us to our clients, if you will, that that's why they hire us. It's also why a lot of people are working with us now. So, Michael, you started your company in 2000, um, and that's, you know, what, 17 years ago now. It's, it's much different, and especially our political climate. Um, how is that impacting your company? The, I think the big change has been, you know, probably, uh, well, it, it's kind of a multifactorial answer, right? One is that... Um, in the past, we were looking for purple state solutions, if you will, solutions that that everyone, no matter your politics, could agree on. So for example, we all can agree that people who come back from our army should not be homeless on the street. So veteran homelessness is what I would have been in, you know, three years ago kind of totally called a purple state solution, right? We're all gonna get behind that and we're gonna work on that. Um, what's happened now is that, um, the, the climate 
is so confrontational. We are so much in these really warring camps that that's no longer an option. And it's, I'm sad to say that, but that's my opinion. Um, and what we're moving towards now is the use of tech by either side in this political debate. And for me, um, you know, I'm an unabashed liberal, progressive too, and um, I think that we're putting tech in the hands of our political allies, if you will, and we're going to win because the economy, like they, they can deregulate our economy, which is a disaster. They can invest in dead ends, like building walls to keep people out or putting people back in coal mines to dig coal that can't sell. Um, but meanwhile, you know, 40% of the cars that sell in Norway are electric, that there's a new economy coming. And if we build software that affects change, that focuses on the outcomes, that it's, it's going to win. Um, so for example, uh, I think there was a lot of concern with uh, our new uh, federal secretary of education around um, her interest in for-profit charter schools within the public school system. Um, if for-profit charter schools are, are coming, then they can either be designed for capital accumulation to small numbers of super wealthy people, or they can be designed in collaboration with our teachers, with parents, with schools, school administrators, um, and most importantly, with, with, with the students themselves to affect good education. Um, and if it's done at low profit and high quality, then it's going to win. So I think, you know, what I see is that this is now more and more um, a weapon that will either be used for good or harm. And it's, it's unfortunately become much, it's a much more combative environment right. now than, ever, than, than any time before in my lifetime. What's it like specifically to to build a company in Vermont? You talked about some of the reasons you wanted to be here. You found your place. Right. Right. And specifically about southern Vermont, you know, what gives you hope here? Right. Where do you think uh, things are on the rise and, and maybe where there's still some difficulties? What's so unique about this area, I think, you know, it's reflected in our branding, if you will, in, in, in sustainable agriculture and in um, tourism and marketing, right? You can think of this state as a place that has no billboards on the highway, um, and you can think of it in terms of the environment we see when we're outside cross-country skiing or looking out the window or out on a walk, um, that there is, this is, I kind of think of it like it's hard to be a tree at the top of a mountain. It's a lot easier to be a tree in much better soils sheltered towards the bottom. So it's an environment that's very conducive to our growth. To, um, and I think that what we have to do in tech is grab the branding of Vermont that's been used for other domains, the arts, tourism, um, agriculture, certainly sustainable agriculture, and create an industry that differentiates itself as being one that focuses on school improvement, that focuses on 
environmental protection that that focuses on human health and so on. That that's our niche in in the world, and that's our brand, and that's what belongs here. Um, other things give me hope here. I think it's a it's a community that um, is is just fun to be in, right? That it's great to be here. It's it's a place that we all I think can learn to feel at home in. Um, it's a place that's that's conducive to sort of trying to carve out your own way through life. Um, the challenges, though, are pretty real. The challenges, I, for, for me, uh, the, the, the big challenges I see, one, are, are the importance of bringing people to this community to live here and be part of this community who reflect different perspectives, different races, different religions, different ethnicities. The diversity of our community is very hard to come in as the first pioneer, if you will, from a different background, particularly as a young person. Um, it's, it's dead. It feels dead. Uh, and I think especially for folks in their 20s. Um, and I think it's also hard, you know, one person creates a, an opportunity, but if they happen to be in a partnership, then what's the partner going to do when they get here? And that's hard. Um, so there are definitely challenges, challenges around housing, daycare, and so on. Um, but for me, you know, to some extent, I mean, I'm a business person and, and the opportunities follow the money. Like if we can create the work and pay people well and get them in here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move. It's, it's, it's a problem that we'll solve from my perspective. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it's a matter of um, selling our services out there in the world and creating opportunity here in this area. Could you talk a little bit about the Echovation um, hub or, or effort? Please. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was on the leadership committee um, for that over the last year. And what that is, I think it's brilliant. Um, our local economic development community, Brattleboro Development Credit Corp. and others have seen um, environmental protection and green building in particular as both um, uh, core strength of this area and that there are a lot of businesses working in that um, specific part of the economy, if you will. Um, and more importantly, they recognized it as an economic development strategy. And this is, you know, in the wake of a community where Vermont Yankee, our nuclear power plant, closed uh, and we lost a lot of high paying jobs. Um, engineering jobs out of that plant and to say environmental protection is an economic development strategy, you know, so, so I sort of have always felt like my perspective had been falling on deaf ears to some extent, that there was a small community that, that thought this way, but it was really a, a, for me, you know, I got to wake up and see a lot of people understanding this and working on it together. Um, and it's a regional effort that now extends uh, into um, the Monadnock region over in Keene and then down um, south uh, into um, the valley in Massachusetts um, to, to really broaden out our reach. And the idea is to bring sort of a, a, a cluster of existing and new knowledge exactly. sharing, manufacturing, uh, identity. It's, it's divided into a number of, of sub-initiatives, if you will, that all work together. One, um, focusing on financing um, and innovative financial instruments and insurance instruments um, for um, things like uh, energy retrofits and commercial buildings. Um, and then a related effort 
from five, I think, of the academic institutions in the region um, to work on training and certification and then um, manufacturing, also agriculture. Um, I sit on a metrics and benchmarking subcommittee within products and services. Of course you do, the data <laughs> analytics geek, right? Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> That's really where our, our, our field is going, to me. Like, we happen to be doing it for 15 years, 16 years, but to me, the machine learning and the, like, it kind of, you know, it, it started um, with the, the giant computer, right? And then they got smaller and sort of that was the invention, was the, the desktop computer and then, the laptop computer, and then no, 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 it's not really that, it's this network, that's really the invention. And then no, it's not really that, it's all these little devices like phones and, and tablets, that's the invention, and they're all connected to this network. And now I think we're realizing um, the invention is, is the machine learning and the artificial intelligence that's gonna run on this network. And for us, it's about applying that to production software building recommendation systems and really driving those recommendations towards social good and social change. So, so let me give you an example because it's, yeah, please. it's it sounds really abstract, but the great example is books and books and movies are things where we get, and music, we're getting very used to being recommended to by um, a machine learning algorithm. So in Netflix, you know, we, we have a sequence of movies we watch and then the- Based on your interests. Right. Yeah. Then this one might appeal to you, right? And they tend to be pretty good. And and you think of that uh, with books as well. Um, we were approached by a client to develop a similar sort of recommendation system. But our job, because this was running in the the classroom library, was not just to recommend a book that's going to sell or a book that you're going to want to watch, but to recommend one that's going to inspire kids to read, that's going to educate them, that's going to teach them about diversity. Um, and so on. So at the end of the day, we might still recommend, you know, Pokemon, it sells, it's good, people love it. But we're also going to recommend Huck Finn. And, um, and so we worked on the mathematics for that. Um, and I see that type of approach to recommendations working in many sectors of the economy, not just in book recommendations. Yeah, here, here. I'm, I'm so sick of what Amazon thinks I need to buy or read or watch. Like, I, I'm ready for, a, like, a control-alt-delete persona <laughs> that is, like... You don't know me, Amazon. Plain vanilla. <laughs> just make up a, and just see what's recommended, because I right. think you, you almost lose a little bit of the, of the, the, the journey, the discovery, the, that's the, right. the, the serendipitous happenstance that might happen. I think happen. that's why bookstores still exist. Probably. Yeah. Probably. So, Michael, um, what's your advice to young entrepreneurs in Vermont, people that are thinking about maybe starting a business in Vermont but haven't actually pulled the trigger yet? Oh, good question. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I guess my biggest lesson is it probably takes bringing yourself past the point of giving up before it'll actually work. That's, that's, that's hard and it's a hard thing to say and I'm sorry I have to say it. <laughs> but it really took me to like finally give up because I had been doing it so much trying to get my business off the ground um, and Green River was the second iteration um, and so long of really not properly supporting my family, frankly, um, before it hit. And um, They forgive you, I hope. Um, <laughs> My wife's a saint. <laughs> she forgets a lot. <laughs> but 
Um, it's a family pursuit when you're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, it I is. think that's and often underrated or underappreciated um, because it's all in. It is all in. And I mean, it was so bad that like, I remember like going to some party somewhere and I literally like just couldn't get my head out of my work to just be in that space, right? It takes a lot out of you. And um, that sort of single-minded drive towards your business. And you live well. in a region where 90% of the places you used to go, you didn't have cell signals, so you weren't checking your phone. I still don't have cell <laughs> signals. <laughs> There's always the dead zone on the way home. But. Yeah. That may be our niche in Vermont, right? Yes. You know, these quiet zones. Absolutely. Uh, quiet it, it, zones are important. They really are. But that's, that's part of it. Um, I also think um, it takes um, passion for the work. It's not just for the money or for its own sake or for, right? It takes a real uh, love of what you do to put that kind of time in. Um, it's unbelievably rewarding, mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, it can't be the, the nine to five sort of yabba dabba do time, the bell rings and I go home. It doesn't, it, you're not going to build your company that way. No, I'm not sure those exist really uh, any longer, right? The less and less. Less and less. Um, um, I mean, we spend a lot of time on work-life sort of balance at our company and having each other's back and protecting one another in that way now. But that's really hard to do in the infancy of a company, truly. That's what you're building towards, you know, being able yeah. to have that balance. But the balance is more a matter of the team. Yeah. Right, that, that we can cover each other when we need it. Right. I, I, uh, one of my mentors, Wayne Granquist, over the years, I, I'll never forget he said this. He's like, you know, when you're looking down that tunnel, you see that light at the end. It's either the, the, the solution, the light, the salvation's at the end, or it's the oncoming train. <laughs> but you're not going to know till you get to the end of the tunnel, right? Yeah. So true. Um, the other thing that we, I mean, this is more an observation from serving a lot of early stage startups. We do, I, I like to call it the fool's friends and family phase of the, the startups. <laughs> we do a lot of them. We love them, um, especially when they're on mission for us. And uh, um there's this spiral a lot of them do where they switch business models. It's like we charge three quarters of the way up the hill and then the party's over on the next hill and we charge three quarters of the way up that one. And then the businesses that I've seen that have really done well have come up with a good business model and, you know, stayed sort of unabashedly focused on that. Haven't, yeah. haven't altered course too many times. That's correct. Yeah. Well, you know, Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and for me, it's also the art of caring deeply about the money without caring too much about the money, right? Because <laughs> it is the fuel that runs this thing. Yeah, right. Completely. No margin, no mission, right? And but and it isn't what makes the car great, right? right. It, it, so it's that that. But but I really recommend like being unabashedly focused on the business model and then run it. And you got to run it, and you can't switch. So those are my, like, sort of for younger people thinking about all this. That's, that's what uh, what do you totally about? hate or dislike about being a CEO or an entrepreneur? What's sort of like the ugh that goes with all the good? Um, there's nothing more painful than firing someone. I mean, I don't know. Probably everyone says that, but it's, it's like. Oh, we've only asked you this question. That's <laughs> so, yeah. no, never fun. It's that, you know, you're playing with people's lives at that point. And, and there's a way to do that well, um, meaning that no one should ever be hit upside the head with a surprise. They should have every opportunity to fix issues and, and so on. Um, but that's 
like, you know, and for me too, I mean, even broader than that, um, the whole idea of being the person who is cultivating the team, like that didn't, like I didn't learn that stuff, right? I'm having to learn that now and to know that I'm responsible um, for the quality of the whole thing, like that's a, that's a yuck, right? That That's like, I, you know, even as a servant leader, it's hard to bear that burden sometimes. Like it's not easy to um, sort of fill the shoes you need to fill to do, to take the company from the ragtag team of consultants that it was to the, the corporation that it needs to be in the future. That's a, that's a, that's a lot to ask of myself. So, and that's, you know, it's not necessarily just yuck because mm -hmm. you, you rise to challenges and you enjoy them. Do you have a board of directors or mentors that you use to this day? Um, I have, I guess I, you know, I, I listen to, honestly, and I, maybe I'm being arrogant here, but I try and listen to everyone and to really draw um, from people around me, both folks who've been very successful in business, but also the people who work with me on my team, um, that I don't want people around me who like are, you know, guessing me or loyal. I want people who are giving me a hard time about the right things and uh -huh. telling me the truth. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I, that's who I learned from. Right. Is, is the folks who. That who makes differ. hiring easier too. Like knowing people that are going to, you know, give you their opinion and, and challenge you and, and, have you grow as well. Right. Yeah. So I have a pretty good question, I think, if you don't mind, Dave. Big setup. Go yeah. for it. Well, <laughs> I, so, you know, clearly working with mission-driven organizations is what really sets you guys apart from a lot of other software companies. In the early days, did you have to say yes to projects that you didn't want to take? I mean, it sounds like now, like you're really oh, taking Monsanto or Dow Chemical. That you really, or... you know, love now, but I'm sure... There was a point where maybe you had to take some bad ones. Is that is that the case, or? That's a great question. Um, it's still the case today, and bad ones. That's not fair because if <laughs> if a client is bad, it's it's then it's my job to to not work for them. Right. Right. So. But how do you say we, no to that in the beginning? You know. Um, so you know the you, you guys have watched Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, yeah. are you kidding me? Of course. Yeah, so, like, the soup Nazi is kind of one of my business <laughs> idols. <laughs> right? Because if you're good enough at what you do, you can say no. Right? Yeah. Um, the truth is that what makes a project on mission can be complicated. Sometimes something that sounds really great at a cocktail party is not what's meaningful in people's lives. And we've, like, frankly, we've taken projects thoughtfully and reluctantly in the past sometimes that have turned out to be fantastic and others that seemed really, really wonderful that have been duds. Um, and so it's sometimes hard to prejudge that. Yeah. Um, it is, I mean, at the end of the day, right, we will unabashedly support ourselves and our families. Right? Totally. The mission is totally important and it's real and it's what this is about, but that's true. And right. I'm not going to be apologetic or embarrassed about that. Um, at the same time, we will take off-mission work if it's training us in what we need to learn, if the folks we're going to work with are going to be a fantastic team to work with, if the developers really want to do that work, provided that it's not 
too large a percent of what we do, um, and provided you know it isn't doing harm in the world, we won't do that. Right. A lot of other companies probably would. We won't, um, yeah. and we'll do it thoughtfully. We'll do it as a team, and we'll talk it over, and we'll bring that work in carefully. Um, but you know, for us, the bad clients are the ones that constantly try and set it. You know, it's like if you hire an electrician and insist that they make a fire <laughs> in your house by wiring incorrectly. Like the bad clients are the ones that won't let us develop good software for them. And those are the ones we have to fire. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm and sure our, that gets easier to recognize over the years. <laughs> it does. And, and our job too is to build processes so that we don't just do our best work for our best clients, that we also do our best work for everyone who, who hires us. Great. Um, yeah. I want to ask you a question about uh, Vermont uh, before we get to the last question. Um, uh, Vermont state government's a big buyer and certainly has a, a technology deficit in almost every process and aspect. Um, how do you and your peers or Vermont Technology Alliance professionals, I, I, are there any changes that with this new administration and new people that you hope maybe makes it easier for Vermont firms to bring the expertise they have to our own population via working with our, our state government? Well, it's, you know, this is a really abstract thing to say, I guess, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think it's true. Um, folks in Seattle, Washington, or in Washington, D.C., or Boston, Mass., or even um, in Amsterdam, um, in the Netherlands, they'll reach into Vermont and hire our team, right? Kids out of Brattleboro High School and so on, right? They recognizing the quality of the work that we do, um, the excellence of our portfolio and so on. The state of Vermont has never really done that. And the times that they have, they've walked away without understanding what, what, why that would be important to do or that the work we do is that much better or even that the processes of modern software companies dictate different ways of contracting and thinking about right, software. Right, right, right. I mean, they, they used to not be able to do like a, a SaaS product, right, because they had to own the code. Or, or it's certain... also, you know, they don't understand Agile, right? We have methodologies of software development that are iterative, you know, release frequently, minimum viable product, get feedback from our users, move into the user-oriented design phases and so on. Like that, That's just how software is successfully designed. And if we don't have contracts that allow us to work that way, right. we get set up to fail instead of succeed. Well, part of, a lot of them are seen as a capital budget decision. So one time up front and then a long tail of use versus an operating investment that you must that's do. Right. And I think that's the, 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 the switch in policy and in practice that I hope is going to improve. Yeah, and it, you know, and so to be even more concrete, it's that the, you know the contracting process and the bidding process is 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 not something we can engage with in the state of Vermont at this point, and that's a shame because you know the the state needs us and we need the state, and yet it's a rally. Yeah, we've heard that elsewhere as as well. So um, thank you. So this is the toughest question, Sam. Looks like he's in the zone. I think he's ready for uh, it. He's, uh, he's uh, a uh, dragon slayer here. He's, he's, you're making it happen. All right, Michael. If you could change one thing in Vermont today, what would it be? Magic wand. Superpowers. I think that 
what I would, this can sound trite, but I'm going to say it anyway. I would want the, the political consciousness that we have, the, the mission that we're on as a state, to be translated into leadership in terms of understanding data, data structures. And, whoops, excuse me. And let me, let me like be really specific because it, it, it would help, right, to be. For example, we had an opportunity in this state to pioneer a healthcare system for the rest of the country. We had the political will, we had the timing, we had the opportunity. It was, it was one of those be careful what you wish for moments, right? Where we're going to give healthcare to all our citizens. And we needed to change our data systems from systems that track lines in a bill, right? We know what medication you're prescribed at what moment in time. And we needed to change that to a system that's built around the individual, the family, the community. And so that wasn't understood. Like that fundamental change in ownership and structure of data just couldn't happen. And so we'll blame the consultants and we'll blame the past administration and we'll blame whomever. But really it was that no one knew what we needed to do. So I guess, honestly, I, I feel like, you know, I'm going to have to answer that question from my tech perspective. And I, I just think um, we have such a wonderful opportunity to blaze a trail here. Um, and and yet we're going to miss it because we don't have the leadership in terms of IT, the information technology. So I would sort of wrinkle my nose and hope that someone could emerge that could do that. That was like the perfect IT pro answer. I was told it? you he was in the zone. He was totally <laughs> in the zone. Uh, Michael. <laughs> He's blushing. Yeah, Michael. Uh, Thanks for working with Schoolhack, which operates out of our Middlebury, uh, Vermont uh, facility. What a, what a great team. And also, thank you for uh, taking your time to meet with Sam and me and uh, Ryan to share a little bit about your journey to help others along the way. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. This series was made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Fairpoint Communications. Follow us at VSET, that's V-C-E-T. Thanks for listening and let's get back to work.